sometimes oversimplification is a technique of debate or public speaking or presentations because the concepts can be so extreme, so complicated, so large that they cannot be adequately put into our average vocabulary or brought into our normal conversation. If the truth were known, most of our conversations about God would be oversimplifications. Not only that, we have no words to truly describe God. Not adequately, not completely. We can speak of his being awesome, but he's beyond that. We can speak of him being glorious, then we have to understand what that means, and usually our concept is less than it is, so it goes beyond that. God is greater than most of our concepts about him, more complicated than most of our conversations about him, and so we have to find some kind of a way to have a discussion of him in our normal human vocabulary that gives us an opportunity to at least express some of the truth that we understand about him. That's why the Bible speaks of God having certain physical attributes. The Bible speaks of God having arms and hands, eyes. It speaks of God's heart. God doesn't have hands like we do. He doesn't have arms like we do. God isn't made in our image. When the scripture says that we're made in the image of God, that's a spiritual image of God. We're not physically made to look like God. He doesn't look like us physically. You say, well, what does he look like? I don't know. I've never seen him. I can't tell you. That's the complication that we face in trying to describe it, trying to speak about it. So the Bible found a way to put it in terms for us to understand. It speaks of his having an arm. And the arm of God usually refers to his power. The hand of God, the same thing, usually referring to God's power. Other physical attributes are given to God. I remember one time listening to a preacher explain in a radio address, I guess it was his program, I wasn't a faithful listener of his program, but I heard him on this particular time. He was explaining why he knows God has wings. The angels have wings. God has wings. I know God has wings because the Bible says so. The Bible says the Son of Man is risen with healing in his wings. And so he said he's got to have wings. Well, based on that, he has to have arms like ours. Because we don't have wings. But, But my point to you is that those statements of the Scripture are metaphoric to give us an understanding that we can have a concept of discussion about God. So what I want to tell you this morning is that with all of those things being said and all of those attributes that we ascribe to him, it still falls short of declaring who God really is. I want you to understand this as best I can explain it to you and as the best that you can grasp it 
because I believe that what God does for us is limited only by the understanding that we have of Him. If we can see everything through the eyes of God, there I go, the eyes of God, to be able to express it. If we can comprehend that God's greatness and fullness, majesty and glory, includes all that we are and all that we have and all of our needs and all of our issues and all of our illnesses and all of our complications are contained within that reality of God. In other words, God is greater than any issue you have. God's greater than any problem you have. God's greater than any disease that you have. God's greater than anything that you can think of or imagine or have ever experienced that brings difficulty and problems into your life. Now, if you need, let me put it a different way. It is no more difficult for God to provide you or anyone with $345,000 than it is for him to provide you with $435. That's good news, isn't it? So now you won't believe for $435. You'll start believing for $435,000. It's all right. Because, you see, we look at things by the degree of complication that we experience them. You have to admit, humanly speaking, Naturally speaking, it is more difficult to cure cancer than it is an ingrown toenail. Would you agree with that? But you see, God doesn't see it that way. It is no more difficult for God to do the impossible than it is for the doctor to give you medication to help you get over your cold. There is no limit. God is not limited by our concept of Him. And you see, it's our concept of difficulty that sets the scale, the things that are simple to us. Well, that ought to be simple to God. Oh, yes. But you see, God does the impossible every day. God does miracles every day. God answers prayer every day with ability that's beyond any human ability to understand. So, if you feel like you've got a problem that's insurmountable, it's no more difficult than the thing you had yesterday when you went into Publix and lost your wallet and somebody picked it up and handed it to you. Oh, that was just so simple. And so if you wind up with a diagnosis this week that you've got an incurable incurable disease, that is no harder for God to take care of than it is helping you find your wallet that you just left a foot or two behind and somebody picked it up and handed it to you. There is no complication that God cannot handle. No difficulty that God cannot absorb. No healing that God cannot bring to pass. No victory that He cannot cause to occur. There is nothing that is God. There is nothing that needs to be done in this world, in 
the economy of this life, in the plan of this age, there's nothing that needs to be done that is beyond the comprehension, the understanding, and the capability of God to perform. So whatever it is that you need, whatever it is that you're struggling with, I'm not unsympathetic to that when I say, I'm not saying it's unimportant to you. I'm just simply saying, you don't have anything that God can't take care of. You don't have anything, God. How big is your God? How big is your God? I don't believe Jesus talked about, about faith as a grade of mustard seed because he's saying if you have just a little bit of faith, you can do anything. I don't think that's what Jesus meant at all. I think Jesus meant that we have to have a comprehension of Him. And if we have a comprehension of Him, it isn't, it isn't our faith that makes things happen. Of course, I've always believed this. It isn't our faith that makes things happen. It's not the way I see that scripture. If you have faith, as a grain of mustard seed, all things are what you say to this mountain to be blue. If you have if you have a full comprehension of who God is, if you have a full grasp of the glory of God, not of a little God who does little things, but of a big God who can do anything, if you have a comprehension of that, it doesn't take much faith other than that, other than knowing who God is, knowing what God can do, and knowing that God will do it. You have to come to the place to believe that God will do it for you. I know we've sometimes said, well, I know God wants to answer prayer, but he, he, he says yes, he says no, and he says wait. But yeah, that may be, there may be some truth in that. You see, we look for answers as to why God doesn't answer prayer. We look for reasons in our own human planning. We look for reasons why God doesn't answer prayer. And we can find a lot of them. I'm not telling you that God's ready to do everything you tell him to do once you say he's a great God. I'm telling you that there needs to be in a scriptural, in a scriptural understanding, a scriptural revelation by the Holy Spirit so you grasp the fullness of God. And the Bible speaks again and again and again about God's arm and the strength of his arm. God's hands, the power of his hands. And I had a lot of scriptures down here I was going to bring to you, so I'm not going to do that now. Just give me a moment to skip over all those things and find my place to where I really want to go to. Jabez is, is well known because people refer to the prayer of Jabez. And it's a mighty, it's a mighty prayer. Jabez was born in pain to his mother and she named him that because of that. So he started out with a negative in his life. But Jabez was, became a person of honor. And he approached the Lord and asked God to enlarge his coasts, to expand him. Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed, Jabez prayed, and enlarge my coast. That thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil. 
that it may not grieve me, that it may not harm me, that it may not overcome me. His prayer was for God to enlarge his coast. Now, I know that there are whole books written about the prayer of Jabez. It became very popular sometime back. And I'm not disparaging any of that. I'm not being negative about any of that. I'm simply telling you that this is, this is what I see in that prayer of Jabez. When he said enlarge my coast, he wasn't praying for God to give him more. More land, more herds, more money, more influence than others have. When he said, enlarge my coast, he prayed what you and I need to be praying. Enlarge my understanding of you, O God. Expand my grasp of who you are. Give me more enlightenment of the fullness of your power, the fullness of your victory, the fullness of your glory. Enlarge my understanding of all of that so that I can see you not as the God of limitations but the God of unlimited ability the God of unlimited power the God of unlimited glory so that you can bring that into my life you know the disciples of Jesus represented us so well most of what Jesus said to them, they didn't understand. He talked to them about dying on the cross. They didn't know what he was talking about. He talked to them about being persecuted and arrested. And they didn't understand what he meant. He told them over and over and over what was going to happen. They didn't, they didn't understand, didn't believe, didn't accept it. In fact, one time Peter got so angry about it, he took the Lord and shook him and said, that, You're not telling the truth. Well, that can't be true. Don't keep telling us that. And all of them felt the same way because they didn't understand what he was talking about. When, they, when he fed, when he fed the five thousand, and the and the disciples must have been mystified by that. It must have been amazing to them. Five loaves and two fish, and Jesus kept saying, "Hand it out, hand it out, hand it out," and they kept handing it out, and it kept on coming. They said, "Over five thousand people." I know it's a miracle, not believed by today's standards, but that's what the Bible says happened. I believe it. And then, a short while after that, in fact. 5,000, I think, is in Matthew chapter 14, and 4,000 in Matthew chapter 15. So when, it, when the 4,000, I don't know what happened to the other few thousand people that had gone, because they didn't count women and children. Sorry, women, that's just the way they did it in those days. We're not, we're not subscribing to that. We're not going to go back to that. They didn't count you in those days. There are 5,000 men, or there are 4,000 men, plus the women and children. So a large multitude of people. So he fed the 5,000 plus people. And then a short time later, there were 4,000 that needed to be fed. And they said, Lord, where in the world are we going to get bread to do that? What, 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 you, this, there's thousands of people there. Where are we going to get enough money to go buy the bread to feed these people? And Jesus said, what happened when I fed the 5,000? How many fragments did you take up? Twelve baskets full. But you see, I'm trying to tell you, how difficult it may be outside the work of the Holy Spirit within us to comprehend the vast fullness and glory of who God is. 
those disciples who were listening to him, walking with him every day that he was teaching, found it very difficult to comprehend the things he was telling them. Of course, I will say to you, they had a disadvantage compared to us. Because we have the Holy Spirit to lead us into the depth of the fullness of God, which he wants us to uncover, which he wants us to be to be brought into by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to fully grasp the fullness, the fullness. What words, what more words can I use? His fullness, his eternity, his eternity. And here's eternity. Eternity is not only without an end. Most people think eternity is just forever. It is forever, with both ends knocked out. Eternity is without beginning and without end. And the only one who qualifies for that fullness is the eternal God, Father God, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit, fullness, one God, our Father God. He's the only one who qualifies as eternal. But no one has ever discovered his beginning, and no one will ever live to see his end, because God is eternal forever and ever and ever and ever, and from everlasting to everlasting is the fullness of God. You talk about, you talk about scientific discoveries. The Bible says... In Psalm chapter 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament reveals the work of his hands. Again, hands, a way to describe it. The firmament reveals the work of the eternal God. The firmament, all of the creation is his handiwork. That's what Paul wrote to the Colossians, that Jesus Christ is before all things, and by him all things consist. And through him all things that do exist are held together. He's the cohesion that keeps the universe in its place. That's the reality of who our Lord God actually is. The Bible says he created light. Now, I, I, I'm not giving you a scientific lesson this morning, because the scientists won't believe what I'm saying. Some of them will, but most of them won't. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. He said, let there be light, and there was light. When he created light, he created an element that moves at 186,000 miles per second. The sun is, what, 94, 95 million miles away from us. And yet we get the light from the sun every day. And I am told, I'm going about what others told me, I, I didn't try to calculate this, but at 95 that million miles away, 94 and a half million miles away, and light at the speed of 106,000 miles a second, in eight minutes, the sun's light and warmth would get to us from its location to Earth. That's a marvelous thing you think about before you, at 186,000 miles a second, before you can snap your finger, light's gone around the earth almost five times. Around the whole earth, 25,000 miles in circumference. When you snap your fingers right now, before I finish, lights circle the globe. 
It's amazing, isn't it? That's what God created. That's what God did. That's the glory, the fullness, the majesty, the mighty, almighty God. And that's who we want to understand Him to be. And what you need to know, and what I need to know is, that all of our issues, all of our rationale, all of our discussions, all of our complications, all of our illnesses, all of our problems, all of those things are covered in the greatness of God. There's no, there's no level of difficulty with God. He is as able to do the most impossible thing. You can't even say most impossible. He's as able to do impossible things as he is able to do simple things. He is not limited in what he can do in your life. You want to know how that affects you, and I want to know how it affects me. The way it affects me is if I have this concept of God, of the greatness and the fullness of God, it doesn't make him, by the Holy Spirit's awareness within me, it doesn't make him a foreigner to me. It doesn't make him somebody that's so far out there that I can't relate to him. What it says to me is that all the issues that I have, he wants to take them, and I should not think that anything that I have going on in my life, now have had, now or will have, that anything I have going on in my life is too hard for God. Nothing that we have going on, nothing that we're dealing with is complicated for God. He's the greatest diagnostician you'll ever have. He knows every illness about your body. He knows every fact about your body. He knows every complication about your body. He knows everything about your propensities within your body, the weaknesses and the strengths. He knows all about it. There's nothing about you. Nothing about you he does not know. Nothing about you he does not understand. And nothing about you that he cannot take care of. How big is your God? How big is your God? God will be everything that you will let him be. I'm telling you now what he can do, and you have to decide what he will do in your life, what you will let him do in your life. And you have to do that by your being absorbed in him and in the fullness, the fullness of him, the fullness of who he is. The Bible says that there is nothing impossible with him. This is, this is his word, Luke chapter 11. No word, of, this is, no word spoken by God will ever fail. With God, nothing is impossible. The scripture talks about all these things that I've mentioned about the arm of God, the power of the arm of God, the power of the hand of God. And all of those things Jesus knew. He knew. He knew all the scriptures, every word of it. He's a part of the, of the writing of it all. He knew every bit of it. And so, when they were accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the prince of demons or the prince of devils are making an accusation against him. Jesus responded by saying, it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons. So the kingdom of God has come to me. Now, I find this somewhat amusing. 
Jesus knew all these scriptures about the arm of God. I mean, the hand of God. If I could tell you that there were that there were forty times when when this when this concept is mentioned, the Lord's powerful arm of arms, and that cuts it short. There are many more that I don't know about. In, in the book of Ezra, as Ezra was sent back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Six times in two chapters, Ezra says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. God's hand touched to show his power to do the impossible. Again and again and again, when, when, the, when the Israelites got tired of manna. Can you imagine this? The Israelites got tired of manna. God was sending them something to eat morning and night. And they got tired of it because there wasn't enough variety for them. They wanted steak instead of manna. Or they wanted chicken instead of manna, whatever it was. They wanted a chain from the manna. Just because it was God's provision didn't matter. So they started grumbling and complaining. And they said, oh, I wish we had stayed back in the land of Egypt because back there we got all the fish we wanted and it was free. I miss all that garlic and vinegar and olive oil. I wish we were back then where I could have all the broccoli and asparagus and green beans that I wanted. I missed that, and it was free. Of course, it wasn't free because they were slaves, and they had to get up and, and do slave labor every day to have it. So it wasn't free. Nothing's free, friends. You look around, if you think there's no price tag to it, doesn't mean it's free. You just take that for what's worth. So, so Moses got distressed with them. He got fed up with them. He said, Lord, I don't know why you keep loading, burdening these people. Why'd you dump all these people on me? He said, ah, oh, they're grumbling about the manna, and they're not satisfied with what you're doing. I mean, dude, you're talking about a miracle. Every morning, every evening, and they weren't satisfied. Not just a daily miracle, a two times a day miracle. And they weren't satisfied with it because after a while it didn't please them, it didn't feed their own appetites. I don't want this to sound too familiar to anybody, so I'll just blame it on the Israelites. Couldn't be satisfied. Couldn't give them enough. And so they said, we want meat to eat. Scripture describes how the manna tasted, and it must have been pretty good. But they weren't satisfied. So, so they said, we want me. And Moses came to God. He said, God, now you've caused me a problem. You put me in charge of all these. Why don't you put all these people on my shoulder? Why don't you carry them yourself, Lord, instead of putting them all on my shoulders? Now they want some miracle thing to happen. I don't know what to do about it. They want meat. You heard what they said, Lord. They want manna. They're grumbling and talking and complaining everywhere. And God said, I can take care of that. He said, don't you remember all the great things I've already done? Back to the remember the disciples. They didn't remember what Jesus had done when he fed the 5,000, so they couldn't figure out how he was going to feed the 4,000. So God said to Moses, don't you remember all the things that I have done? This is what he said. He said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? We've got to talk about the hand and the arm so that we understand. Is God's power limited? Is, is my power Has my power changed? Since I did all these miracles. Remember those ten miracles that I gave in the land of Egypt to get you set free. Remember when you came up to the Red Sea and they were 
fast pursuing you and going to overtake you, and your way was blocked by the Red Sea. And I told you to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, and you did, and I opened up the way for you to walk across on dry land. Not only that, when the, when the Egyptians pursued you and they got inside where they couldn't turn around and get away, I let the water come back and drown them, so you were set free. I've done a lot, Moses. Now do you think my, do you think my power has become limited after all of that? Now, do you think God's power has become limited after all that he's done for you? After the time that he saved you and set you free from the bondage of sin, made your life whole and free and complete? Do you think God's power has changed since then? Do you think God's power has changed since he healed you? Do you think God's power has changed since he moved in your family and did a great miracle, a transformation in your family? Do you think God's power has changed since then? No. No. God is still the same. He's still the same. He's the same God that he was who led the Israelites out. He's the same God that he was when he healed the people up and down Judea in the land. God had promised the land of Canaan when Jesus walked about healing. He's the same God he was then. In fact, the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His power is not limited. He has no less power. Moses said, what are we going to do about the meat? I'm not interested in all this theology and all this esoteric thinking. I'm not interested in all this poetical discourse, Lord. These people want to know what to do about me, and what I want to know is what am I going to do about it. That's what I'm going to tell you right now. So God said, all right, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do about it. He said, just watch. Get the people. He gave them a little formula to get people together. He said, and then when you do what I told you to do, see what's going to happen. Do what I told you to do. Watch what's going to happen. Moses did what he told him to do. And so God caused the wind to blow up from all around them. God's great at stirring up winds, you know. That's one of the things he likes to do. Just just something that nobody else can do. Nobody else can create the wind. So God stirs up the wind. And it and it causes a a, a disturbance in the quail nest. I don't know how many quail nests there must have been all thousands of them. Maybe millions of them hidden around there somewhere. But when God sent that wind, the quail started to fly up. And the next thing you know, the quail, they didn't have shotguns to shoot them down with, so God just took care of that too. He just took them and put them right down on the ground. And the first thing you know, there were quail laying all around the camp of Israel. Read about this in Numbers 11 if you want to. Quail laying all around the camp of Israel. And not only that, so many of them fell that they were way up, not just one covering on the ground. There were several layers of them on the ground. There were more quail. Some of them went out. They gathered enough quail for the morning, enough for the evening. Got all that they could. Didn't have refrigeration to put them in. I don't know how they stored them and kept them. Doesn't matter. They got all they could, held on to all that they could, got rid of them. And finally, after a while, they got so sick of quail, they wanted manna again. They said when the meat got stuck in their teeth, they got so tired of it, they couldn't pick the meat out of the teeth after eating all that quail. They said they wanted meat, and God flooded them over. This overpowered them with quail. They didn't give them some little cheap food, you know. He just gave them the Cornish hen. He gave them the quail. He gave them the prime. And after a while, they said, well, this is more than we can handle. Watch out. Watch out. God's power. God's power is here. God is.
is moving. God is getting ready to do powerful and mighty and wonderful things. And if you aren't careful, if you aren't careful, we'll be over flooded with the things that God is getting ready to do. Overflowing in the victory of the Lord. But God is moving. God is working. And the victory of the Lord is assured. The victory of the Lord is a guarantee. Because he said that it would be here. He said everything that we have asked and that we are seeking is coming to us from him. No good thing. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. There are promises of God that will be kept. No promise of God that he's ever made will he break. I gave you the scripture earlier that says no word spoken by the Lord will ever fail. If men men say it's impossible, it doesn't matter. Because what men say have nothing to do with what God's going to do. God isn't going to perform his actions and his deeds based on what men say about it. He's going to do it based on his character, and his character is to keep his word in everything he said. All that God has said he will do, all that God has said he will perform, there's nothing, nothing, no good thing that God will withhold from his people who are walking uprightly. And we're on the verge of seeing a great manifestation of the Spirit of God beyond anything that most of us have seen in our lives. Beyond anything we've seen before. I believe the Lord has spoken to my heart about in, in powerful things. I don't have any intention of going and sharing all of that. But I am going to say just this one thing. I believe the Lord spoke to me some time ago was it yesterday or last month, but some time ago, God spoke to me and told me that I was going to see, have, experience a greater victory than ever before. A greater, so that would be a greater victory than I've ever seen. I'm expecting that imminently. I believe it started. I'm expecting that imminently to happen. That the Spirit of God is going to do beyond anything that most of us have ever seen or ever experienced. And that what God is going to do will be done so greatly, so powerfully, so wonderfully, that the victory of it can only be ascribed to Him. That the glory for that can go to nobody else but Him alone. I'm going to say one more thing. I've been asked about this a couple of times. I want to say it as a clarification and as a part of what I'm saying this morning as well. I've been waiting for a good time to explain it, and this is it. A few weeks ago, maybe maybe even two or three months ago now, sometimes time passes so fast it's hard to remember, but I stood right here and I spoke about God who is going to do a shocking thing. And I, I just said not much about it, but there's something that God, some shocking thing that would shock us. Now remember, it may not be shocking to God. What, what will shock us, surprise us, throw us into a great shout of victory? It's just normal with God. There's no great. There's no grade of, of simple or complex as to what God can do. Does anybody remember that Sunday morning when I made that comment? I said just a few words about that. There's going to be a shocking thing that's going to happen. That's coming. And I and I said it to say that this is something that God is. Uh, 
that, 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 that God has on the horizon. To clarify that, I, 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 there are a lot of things that could be happening. A lot, I'm not prophesying about ISIS or, or that Iran's going to violate the treaty and send a nuclear bomb somewhere. I'm not prophesying that. Well, that really wouldn't be shocking at all, either, would it? So, so but I am telling you that God has in his plan something that is so majestic, so glorious, so beyond anything we know, that we will look at it as something shocking. We see and know it is absolutely the hand of God that is doing this. And we'll see it. We'll see it. Because God, when we take our view of him and see that he is our huge, wonderful, indescribable, unspeakable, gloriously victorious God than what he's going to pour out on us is something that we will not have words to describe. And I do believe that with all my heart. Bow your heads with me, please. We bow our heads in